Welcome to Disclaimers Aside, a podcast where I share the raw and honest stories of people in my community, Disclaimers Aside. I'm your host, Aisada Amadou, and let's dive into the episode. Welcome back to Disclaimers Aside. Today I'm excited because this week's podcast episode is going to be an Isida's advice session. This is part two to a series that I do here on Disclaimers Aside where basically I let you guys submit any questions or issues that you guys need advice on and I give you guys advice. But before we get into the meat of this episode, I do want to talk about something recently that happened that I've been speaking on over on my Instagram, but I feel like it's important to kind of talk about it here on the podcast for those of you guys who might not follow me over on Instagram and who might not be familiar with what happened. So recently, Masa Amini was 22 years old when she was killed by the Iranian government, and this happened on September 16th. Masa was detained and killed because she wasn't wearing her hijab to the standards of the Iranian government. One of the important aspects to highlight about this case is that Masa was Kurdish. There's a lot of discourse going around where people are posting infographics where it says that she's Iranian, she's actually Kurdish, and it's important to highlight that aspect of it just because the Kurdish people within Iran experience discrimination specifically because of that Kurdish identity. Under the Iranian government, women are not allowed the autonomy over their own bodies. They're not allowed to choose what they want to wear and what they don't want to wear. They are forced by the law to cover their hair and their bodies and failure to do so means violence. These abusive and discriminatory laws are only reflective of the oppressive Iranian regime and the crimes they've committed committed in the name of Islam. Iran is a government that claims to be the Islamic Republic of Islam, but their values are in no way, shape, or form reflective of the peaceful religion of Islam. Masa's death has sparked protests in Iran and all over the world. Recently, here in Berkeley, there was a vigil and there were protests in the larger Bay Area in San Francisco. Iranian citizens, most importantly, have been risking their lives every day just in attempts to fight for basic human rights. So I think as a Muslim woman with the privilege of living in the U.S., who has the right to choose to wear my hijab, I think it's important that I, you know, openly speak against what the Iranian government is doing and speak up about the crimes that are happening over there. As I mentioned, there was a vigil in Berkeley that um, the students organized. It was a really sad night. There were people uh, of all ages kind of speaking, reading poetry, singing, crying. There was such an overpour of an emotion because of how much this impacts people's lives on a daily basis, even though, you know, we're so far away from what's happening in Iran. This impacts people's lives so deeply and it impacts the Iranian diaspora so deeply. One of my close friends actually wrote a piece for the vigil, but unfortunately she wasn't able to actually read it herself because of that fear of what would happen to her, what would happen to her family if she ever tried to go back to Iran. Would the Iranian government punish her or her family or the people that she loves simply for using her voice to speak up for her human rights? I'm reading the speech of an anonymous person who chose to keep their identity private. I did not write this speech. All week, 
I've been replaying images of Iranian women burning their headscarves, dancing and twirling through the streets in the midst of protests and chaos. This very image. Their twirls and leaps are a force of joy and resistance in the face of tyranny. I was moved to tears watching from the comfort of my plush American reality. I write these words as a member of the diaspora. I am not speaking for Iranians living in Iran who are graciously and courageously fighting for their rights while being shot at, killed, beaten, and trampled as we speak. Even thousands of miles from the homeland, I still feel rage reverberating deep within my bones and to my core when I think about the regime. Their sick urge to control the bodies of women how easily they can stomach destroying lives. The routineness of violence that they exhaustingly perpetuate. After 42 years, there comes a point at which the frequency of torture ceases to instill fear. They have become so used to this violence and fed up that here we are seeing women dancing in the street with no headscarf. I have prayed for a day like this and it should not have taken the death of Masa Amini for people to finally listen. Over the years, growing up in the U.S., speaking about injustice in Iran feels like you're shouting into a pit of nothingness. Conversations about injustice have typically been met with blank stares, blank stares and sympathetic nods only to amount to nothing. Before Masa, there was Navid and Mona and Mira and Ramina and thousands more over the years and no, that nobody has heard about. Today, silence about the injustices of the Iranian government is violence. May we grieve the lives taken and destroyed by the regime. May we acknowledge the deep-seated damage that Western intervention has inflicted. And may we continue to uplift the brave resistance in Iran so that this cult of patriarchy can finally start tumbling down. Thank you. One of the things that is really challenging is there's a lot of censorship that goes on in Iran and so even the Iranian diaspora isn't really able to always speak out for fear that if they do want to go back to Iran that them or their family may be targeted by the government. And so I think that is one of the most important reasons why we who are not Iranian or who don't risk that or face those risks need to use our privilege to talk about what's going on. In this case, silence is violence, and I, I really, really say that with the most generosity because I feel like this is just one of those cases where if we don't talk about what's going on and nothing happens and nothing changes, more and more lives are going to be lost every single day. The U.S. isn't doing anything about this. Um, however, I think it's important, again, to touch on the fact that that Western, in, Western intervention is not the solution. Western, Western intervention into countries in the Middle East, um, just like when the West intervened in Iraq and Afghanistan and even in Iran in the past, is what creates systems like this. And so it's important that rather than proposing Western intervention as a solution to what's going on in Iran, the, the human rights violations, that the Iranian people are empowered and supported by the U.S. to take up arms and stand against the Iranian government. Speaking to my audience that may be Muslim, it's important to use your voice as Muslims to speak up on this issue. 
what Iran is doing is not reflective of Islam and it's important not to conflate those two as the same thing. I've seen so many TikToks that make me so sad of Muslim individuals who are saying that, you know, speaking up against what Iran is doing is Islamophobic and that is not the case at all. Islam is not a religion that should be oppressed or forced on anyone. Islam is not Islam if there is no choice involved. And as Muslims, we have to remember that and stand up for our brothers and sisters around the world. One of my favorite quotes my whole life is is the quote by Martin Luther King, justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And Angela Davis also herself said something about how the black liberation movement will will never be successful, will never end until all people around the world are liberated. You know, we have to, as people of color, stand up for other people of color in times of need and in times of protest the same way that they would stand up for us and take up arms for ourselves. So use your platforms, use your voice, educate yourself on this, on this issue, because again, silence is violence. The rights that they are fighting for in France and India is the same cause as this. What I mean by that is the right to wear a hijab, and the right to be able to choose not to are one and the same. We're fighting for the liberation and the choice for women around the world to be able to dictate and have autonomy over their bodies in the way that human beings deserve. So again, do your research. I will have some resources linked in the show notes if you want to kind of read more about the story, get more informed, and please, please, please use your platforms to speak on this issue. Every voice matters, especially if you are not Iranian because you have that privilege. So moving on to a little bit of a lighter note, I want to talk about the Little Mermaid controversy that's been kind of a buzz recently. Essentially, Disney's coming out with a live action. I feel like every time Disney comes out with a live action, there's like some kind of new controversy. The past two weeks, my TikTok for you page has been filled with TikToks of people talking about how there's a controversy that Halle Bailey got cast as Ariel in The Little Mermaid. For context, if you don't know who Halle Bailey is, she is a black actress and people are up in arms because a black actress is playing a white mermaid from the original Disney film to me it just it it baffles me that we're still we're still having debates like this am I surprised honestly not really I feel like as much as it's pessimistic to say this I feel like Hollywood is just st just still has a long 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 ways to go in terms of like diversity and inclusion and this is a step in the right direction but I just don't understand people that are so heated about this. I think one of the most tender, warm, heartwarming things to see are those TikToks that have been going around of like little black girls that are seeing the trailer of The Little Mermaid for the first time and like how much of like a impact that has on them and their perception of themselves because I think, you know, as a kid being able to see Disney characters or just characters in general that look like you is so powerful and has such an impact on your self-worth and how you see yourself and the way that you navigate the world. This is the step in the right direction. I really hope that they continue to like adapt Disney movies or movies where they typically had white characters with more POC individuals. But I'm just hoping that they don't do anything with The Little Mermaid like they did with Aladdin. Speaking of 
Hollywood. Have you guys been watching House of Dragons? Because I have been a House of Dragons stan every single Sunday. That's what I'm watching. I was talking to one of my friends recently and I was saying that last year was Euphoria Sunday. This year it's House of Dragons Sunday. I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion, but I low-key feel like you can watch House of Dragons before Game of Thrones. It's technically like a prequel to Game of Thrones and Game of Thrones spoils what happens in House of Dragons. But I feel like if you're someone who at this point has never seen Game of Thrones, and since it's such a long commitment to actually watch Game of Thrones, I feel like you could just watch House of Dragons and call it a day. It is so, so good. I'm obsessed with it. As much as it annoys me to watch shows week to week, it gives me the time in between the week to kind of like process everything and absorb everything because I feel like when I watch binge watch shows I just completely miss a lot of the important details and a lot of the like easter eggs and the world building that's all I'm gonna say about House of Dragons for now I kind of want to keep my thoughts on it spoiler free for those of you guys who haven't watched it but I think at this point we're on episode six or seven so you still have some time you can get caught up on the show and I might do like a little season recap once the entire first season is is finished but it's doing well in box offices i saw a tiktok the other day that was talking about how it was the most watched season premiere and it actually beat out stranger things and euphoria which was pretty surprising all right let's do some polls i put these polls over on my instagram yesterday if you guys aren't following the disclaimers aside instagram you guys definitely should it's always linked in the show notes First one is, when you're on vacation, are you the type of person that likes to document everything or live in the moment? So 37% of you guys said you guys like to document everything and 63% said you like to live in the moment. I'm not going to lie, I'm surprised by this. I don't know if it's just me being someone who posts on the internet a lot about my life, but I love taking pictures of everything while I'm on vacation. Pictures, videos, I'm, I'm like the annoying one in my family that has to stop and take a million pictures and videos when I'm on vacation and I love looking back at photos and of course it's really nice to post them but I feel like it is important to live in the moment but I definitely am the type that leans more on documenting everything. Next one is studying. Do you like to study in groups or do you like to study alone? I had midterms last week so I was really just in the grind of like studying. I personally really like studying in groups. I'm the type of person where I can actually put my headphones in and like study. So I feel like I can I can study to music, so I feel like it's easy for me to study in groups because if I just want to take myself out of like the conversation, I'll just put my AirPods in and you know, tune it out, but I like the presence of like studying with other people because then I feel like the hours kind of pass faster and I feel a lot more motivated. But 33% of you guys said you like to study in groups and 67 said you like to study alone, which kind of makes sense because I guess you can kind of get distracted when you're studying with other people. Next one is lattes versus cappuccinos. 78% of you guys said you guys like lattes and 22% like cappuccinos. I agree. I like I like me a latte. Um, but cappuccinos are also good. They're like extra foamy. My ideal choice would be like a combination of the two like an extra foamy latte next one is home cooked meals versus eating out 55% of you guys said home cooked meals 45% of you guys said eating out I have to go with eating out just because I love the experience of like sitting down and having a meal at a restaurant or like a cute cafe last one is 
neutrals or color. This is in terms of like clothing and your personal style. So 72% said neutrals and 28% said colors. I wasn't surprised by that one. I have to do disagree with this one too because looking at my wardrobe, it's just like a whole lot of colors if I'm going to be honest. I would love to be that girl who has like the capsule wardrobe and wears very classy like chic colors and silhouettes but I'm just not I definitely express myself a lot of the times through colors so this week's check-in question that I'm going to be putting on the Instagram stories is if you could wear only one color for the rest of your life that's not black or white what would it be I asked my roommates this question last night and one of my roommates said maroon red the other one said blue and then I said chocolate brown but they said chocolate brown was cheating so then I said forest green because I love me a forest green. I didn't prepare a unpopular opinion before recording this so we're just gonna go off of the top of my head. Disclaimers aside, HBO is better than Netflix. I feel like the quality of HBO shows and movies is just always better than Netflix whereas with Netflix the quantity is there like they have a lot of shows but you really have to dig because there's some low quality trash TV shows and movies on Netflix. So now let's dive into your guys' questions. I asked you guys over on my Instagram stories and then I realized that maybe it's a good idea to actually create a Google form. So I created a Google form that way you guys could really be anonymous with these responses and also so that you guys wouldn't have like a, a word limit. But let's go ahead and start off with the ones that you guys submitted over on my Instagram story. The first one is how to romanticize my life. Romanticizing your life is one of the most important things that I can recommend to anyone, especially if you're struggling with motivation or if you're struggling to spend time alone with yourself, like you're really trying to learn how to like enjoy your own time. I feel like romanticizing your life there are a few things that you can do for this. Number one, having a fire playlist and listening to that fire playlist whenever you're walking around, on public transportation, or driving around. Another thing is spending time on Pinterest and like curating boards that reflect what your dream life would be or what you would want your life to kind of look like and start to kind of emulate that. I feel like Pinterest is a place where you can really get creative and there's so much imagery on Pinterest that you can kind of go in any direction you want and you can inspire yourself and build your own dream life. Pinterest always just so, it gives me so much serotonin. It's so satisfying to go on Pinterest and I feel like it just gives me renewal and inspiration. Treat yourself as if you are you were your own best friend. Like do things for yourself that you would do for a best friend or a, or someone you're in a relationship with. Go take yourself out to coffee shops, go to parks and read by yourself, go shopping, like go see a movie by yourself. Do these things that you would traditionally reserve to doing with other people by yourself. And I think that's kind of how I learned how to kind of like romanticize my life and enjoy spending time on my own. Someone asked, how did you get into graphic design and tips for building skills? I have very basic level graphic design skills. I pretty much make everything, all of my imagery and things on Canva. And I got Canva Premium. I invested in it about a year ago. It was the best decision that I could have ever made. I would say the easiest tip with using Canva is to play around with templates, like basically pick and choose elements you like out of different templates 
on Canva. This is especially if you have Canva Premium because honestly the Canva, the regular Canva account does not have great templates, but Canva Premium really has such a good backlog of already made cute templates that you can kind of just like use. And that's how I make graphics really, really easily. I learned a lot of my graphic design skills in my past internship at the Women's Center last year. That definitely helped me grow a lot in my skills. I think if you're trying to look for inspiration, definitely be very observant of other graphics. Follow a lot of graphic design accounts and kind of see what you like and what elements kind of jump out at you. Look for inspiration in things like magazines, which is not a traditional source of inspiration that people look for, but I think is one of those more original sources of inspiration. My roommate recently said, look on Tumblr for inspiration for in terms of graphic design rather than Pinterest because Pinterest is a lot more overused and oversaturated and less and less people are on Tumblr. So that's another way that you can kind of look for inspiration. I don't have a lot of like experience with Photoshop and things like that, very traditional graphic design experience. I feel like I have very beginner level canva experience and i just kind of use canva to create whatever i need how to study without procrastinating or getting distracted i definitely feel this one there are different methods you can use for example the pomodoro method i hope i'm pronouncing that one right where you i think it's work for 25 minutes and then take a five minute break i want to say i personally the way that i kind of stay focused when i'm like sitting down and working is i like to not work in my room if possible i like to go to a library a cute coffee shop or something of that sort or if i'm studying at home i really like to set the vibes by lighting a candle and listening to music putting your phone away um, whether it's putting it face down so that the screen's not like lighting up with text and notifications or putting your phone in your backpack or in a drawer so that you're not getting distracted by it is really really important finding really good study music i have to say music is what gets me through and can get me through like four hour, six hour, eight hour study sessions. If you can't listen to music with lyrics, listening to lo-fi music, there's this thing called the lo-fi girl is, that's great. You can put on a U-log, which is like a fake fireplace on YouTube that really sets the vibes. I feel like just like setting the vibes can really get you into like a good work space. And, in terms of procrastination, I've never been the type of person to procrastinate or struggle with procrastination. I am usually just like, I try and stay on top of things in terms of my assignments, like at the beginning of the semester, at the beginning of the week, I look at like what's due that week. And I try and just break things down day by day and do a little bit at a time. I also like to use the weekends a lot for catch up or like getting ahead for the next week. So then my weeks aren't super, super busy and packed. Someone asked how to plan a routine and stick with it. Plus, how do you establish your fashion and style? I think when you're establishing a routine, you really have to think about what are the most important aspects of my life that I want to focus on. Like, for example, when you're crafting a morning routine, what are the things I want to focus on? What are the areas of my life that I want to focus on? Whether that be health and wellness, spirituality, self-care. It's If fashion is important to you, carving out time to like pick out what you want to wear for the day, like looking through your wardrobe. Just thinking about the most important aspects of your life and making that into a list of five to seven things that you do every morning but the important part is that it has to be feasible you can't come up with a 12-step morning routine and think you're going to do it in like 30 minutes habits really come from the repetition of doing things doing them every single day and 
setting your alarm early enough to where you know that you have the time to be able to do it. So for example, if you have class at 11, don't be waking up at like 10.30 and expecting to have this, you know, beautiful morning routine and feeling ready and prepared for the rest of your day. Even just setting your alarm a little bit earlier than you would normally set it, I think helps and goes a long way. In terms of fashion and style, it all comes from Pinterest. I have a Pinterest board where I just pin inspiration that I have. I really, really love Pinterest these days because I feel like there's a lot more girls on Pinterest that look like me, so black hijabis. I always look in terms of fashion and inspiration for fashion. I try and look at people that look like me, whether that's in terms of like their silhouette or their level of modesty slash if they have around my skin tone. I try and try and try my best to look at people for inspiration that look like me because then it's actually feasible to pull off a look. Okay, so those are all of the ones submitted on Instagram. Now let's go on to the Google form. I feel like I want to expand my reading taste but don't really know where to start. How do I read out of my comfort zone? This is really good. I feel like in the past year, I've wanted to kind of shift my comfort zone more towards reading nonfiction just because I feel like it's important to not just read fiction, but also to read nonfiction because you can learn a lot from nonfiction in ways that you might not necessarily learn from fiction. And the way that I like branched out into nonfiction was starting off very easily with memoirs and then moving more into nonfiction books that may not be about a, per- a specific person's life. I think if you're trying to branch out into a specific genre, you need to follow creators on BookTok or on YouTube or whatever platform it may be on Instagram even that love that genre. And I feel like if you start watching people that love that genre, are talking about that genre constantly, are recommending books in that genre, you're going to feel gravitated and want to read that genre a little bit more. I used to never read Romance and Contemporary. I just did not like those books. Then I discovered BookTok and I started watching more creators that would recommend those types of books and now it's one of my favorite genres. The people's content that you consume actually impacts you in ways that you wouldn't expect and that's why it's important to curate the people that you follow. Have you experienced imposter syndrome or comparison as a transfer and how do you deal with it? Imposter syndrome and comparison are two things that just happen, I feel like, a lot when you're in college, but especially if you're a transfer student, and especially if you're a transfer student at a school like Berkeley. Let's talk about imposter syndrome first. I haven't experienced imposter syndrome quite as much as, like, I feel like other people do. I think the way that I've kind of combated those feelings is like reminding myself how hard I worked to get here and what it took to get in this place and just remembering that you worked just as hard or even harder than other people that are in the same place that you are. I think imposter syndrome can't a lot of the times be rooted in comparison and so combating comparison and like just stopping negative feelings that come out of comparison right when they begin is really really important. You can't compare yourself. We are all different people who have come from very different places and very different circumstances. We've had different resources. We have different histories that we're carrying on our back and so you can't allow that 
to impact the way that you see yourself worth. It's really hard when you go to an institution like Berkeley where people are doing so many different things. It seems like everyone has their life together, but in reality, when you get to know some of the people that you think have their life together so much, they actually don't have their life together as much as it seems or as much as they pro project on social media. Someone else said, I've been on a journey of self-love for two years ever since a big breakup. I feel like one of the most surprising things with healing is that it's not linear. What advice do you have for practicing self-love? I love this so much. I cannot agree more that healing in any capacity or just like any type of self-development or self-growth, growth in general doesn't always happen in a linear, perfect way. I think a lot of the times we can start on these like healing journeys or these self-growth journeys expecting that you're just going to fix your issues overnight but things take time and you have to be able to actually like process what you're going through in order to actually grow in a positive way one of the books that i love to recommend to like anyone that in my life that i hear is toxic or exhibiting toxic tendencies or even just anyone who's looking to heal or grow in any way is the book all about love by bell hooks it is such a good book and it's a book about radical self-love and I read, I read it last February. Um, I started it during the month of February and it took me like two months to get through because I was reading that book like a chapter a day and learning so much. It's one of those books where it is just so rich in its writing and in its lessons that you have to take the time to like sit down and actually process it. I'm really excited because I bought this over the summer I bought her other book it's called salvation which is like all about love but specifically written for the black community so i'm really excited to read that but her book all about love does have a very intersect intersectional feminist perspective on things that i think it was just so refreshing refreshing and so enlightening i want to read you guys a passage from all about love this is from chapter four page 66 commitment let love be in me of all the chapters for this book, this one was the most difficult to write. When I talked with friends and acquaintances about self-love, I was surprised to see how many of us feel troubled by the notion as though the very idea implies too much narcissism or selfishness. We all need to rid ourselves of misguided notions about self-love. We need to stop fearfully equating it with self-centeredness and selfishness. Self-love is the foundation of our loving practice. Without it, other efforts to love fail. Giving ourselves love, we provide our inner being with the opportunity to have the unconditional love we may have always longed to receive from someone else. Whenever we interact with others, the love we give and receive is always necessarily conditional. Although it is not impossible, it is very difficult and rare for us to be able to extend unconditional love to others, largely because we cannot exercise control over the behavior of someone else and we cannot predict or utterly control our response to their actions. We can, however, exercise control over our own actions. We can give ourselves the unconditional love that is the grounding for a sustained acceptance and affirmation. When we give this precious gift to ourselves, we are able to reach out to others from a place of fulfillment and not from a place of lack. One of the best guides to how to be self-loving is to give ourselves the love we are often dreaming about receiving from others. I'm not saying this book will necessarily solve all your problems, but I think it'll help and I think it'll be kind of a start in that journey. How do you find good friends as a pa practicing Muslim in a, in a non-Muslim country? It's really hard out here. It truly is really hard out here. 
And it's hard because the people that you surround yourself with do have like an, a huge impact on you as a person, whether or not you recognize it. Growing up, my mom always pushed that I made good friends because she always told me that the five people that you surround yourself with are important because they impact who you become as a person. Like when you spend a lot of time with people, you begin to pick up on their mannerisms and pick up on their habits and pick up on their outlook on life and they shape you as a person. So it's important to surround yourself with good people at the end of the day. And it can be really hard as a Muslim navigating that in a non-Muslim country, especially in specific areas of the US where there are less Muslims. I've always grown up really not with a lot of Muslims in school. I've always kind of grown up as a minority. Being in college is actually was actually a shift because I actually have made more friends with Muslim other Muslim students, whereas in the past I didn't really have a lot of Muslim friends. But I think at the end of the day, it's important to just become friends, if you can't, with Muslim other Muslim students, with people that share similar values, similar cultures, and similar, similar upbringings is the most important thing. And I also think another thing I do want to highlight is that like just because someone is Muslim, it doesn't automatically make them a good person. And just because someone's non not a Muslim, it doesn't automatically make them a bad person, especially in this day and age. If you're trying to look for more Muslim friends or just connect with the Muslim community at large, wherever you are on your college campus, try and join, th join things like Muslim student associations to connect with other Muslims. That's probably one of my biggest tips and also if you are muslim in college and you haven't listened to a recent podcast episode called navigating college as a muslim student you guys should definitely go check it out even if you're not a muslim because i feel like it is kind of informative about that unique experience okay next one is a long one i'm 19 and i used to date this 33 year old who was really toxic i finally got out of the relationship and found a rebound a month later he is 27. At first, I thought that I liked him and things were fun. Then I started to get annoyed by him. Once I started getting annoyed by him, it was around the same time that I ran into my ex at a party. I was drunk and we started talking and he got back into my life. Next thing I know, I slept with him after he bought me a flat screen TV and a massage chair. Now I find myself in a relationship with both of them low-key. I want to get out of both relationships and just focus on myself. I feel so guilty and this isn't me. What do I do? I can't admit to the rebound boyfriend that I cheated because I feel so bad. And my toxic ex, who I'm back with, asked me if I've gone with anyone since the breakup and I lied to him and said no. What do I do? Oof. This is, um, this is a lot. Um, a lot of elements going on in this story right here. I think, first of all, one of the things that we got to touch on here is the fact that you are 19 and you're with two older guys and I think it's important to kind of think about that I think especially when you're in this age of like 18 to 25 when you're in relationships where there is such a large age gap that becomes so pronounced because of maturity levels it's clear to me from this situation that there's a pattern here of you being in relationships with toxic and older men so i think the first thing here in this situation is to look into why you fall into this pattern of of being in relationships with toxic and older men uh, i think when it comes to old like being in relationships with older people a lot of the times people will equate age with maturity and safety and that can sometimes arise out of a trauma response based on like past traumas mm -hmm. But I think it's important to remember that you can't equate age 
with maturity and safety. I think as I'm getting older and older, I'm definitely seeing that, you know, so, sometimes age is just a number. I'm not, not applying that to this case, but age is just a number because at any given age, people have different maturity levels and people don't mature in a linear way as they grow up. I think honesty is probably the most important thing, being honest in both with both individuals and any healthy relationship. I feel like you have to start on a foundation of honesty. And so lying is just never the option. You can take this as a learning experience and learn that you have to walk away when you start seeing red flags in any relationship. It can be hard to see the red flags, but you have to learn when to see them and walk away immediately because you don't want to be in a toxic situation or an abusive situation. And I think sometimes when you don't learn how to notice those red flags, it just becomes easier and easier for you to fall into a relationship like that. Please read All About Love by Bell Hooks. I really hope things work out and I wish you all the best of luck in this situation. But I think the most important thing is to just be honest, to break both relationships off and to spend time learning and growing from this experience to avoid situations like this in the future. Someone said, how to deal with feeling burnt out during the school year slash term. This is really hard. I totally understand this. It's important. I cannot emphasize how important it is to give yourself breaks to find like a balance and to spend time with friends and join clubs and do things that are fulfilling for you that are that have nothing to do with what you're doing inside the classroom because it can be so easy to fall into burnout. I have a video that I made my freshman year of college on burnout that I'll link in the show notes if you want to check it out because that video is just me talking about burnout in its entirety and like ways that I avoid burnout. I feel like I've just gotten to a place where I've learned that academics are not everything, you know, and your mental health is important. Your mental health needs to come first even before academics because that's what you need to even sustain yourself to be able to perform academically if you're trying to unlearn that habit of constantly putting academics first above everything including your mental well-being remind yourself that people that are looking to hire you aren't going to be looking for robots they're looking for well-rounded individuals And people who know how to have fun and people who know how to relax. So take that time to take care of yourself, to spend time with your friends and family, and take a break from schoolwork. Someone else asked for tips for getting through class readings. As a political science major, one thing that I've learned in college is that professors don't want you to necessarily read every single word that they assign in terms of readings. I haven't had a professor in my first quarter of college who's assigned us a study or a reading on how to like skim your readings or how to read for class and the professor talked about the fact that the most important thing is that obviously there are some readings where you need to read it more in depth and do a close reading but as a whole the most important thing is that you skim or you read enough to where you understand the main argument and all of the support that goes behind it. I've just kind of learned to gain a better intuition of when I can skim readings or when I have to actually read it in full that's definitely helped me a lot as someone who is pre-law and who gets a lot of assigned readings I also use the weekend heavily 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 to get ahead on readings throughout the week to kind of lighten the load 
In college, it's really nice because professors assign your syllabus at the beginning of the semester so you can start to kind of work ahead, which is what a lot of people will do. Another way to get through readings if it's too much to do on your own is just form study groups. This is something that I've heard of in my classes where people will get together, people will be assigned different readings for any given week, and then they'll meet and discuss. They'll take notes on the readings, they'll create summaries, they'll discuss the readings, and it's basically like you've done the reading yourself. Collaboration is actually really important in college, so don't be afraid to ask for help or ask for support in that way. Another person asks, is there a large black Muslim population at Berkeley? Were you able to find a communi community there better than at Santa Cruz? Honestly, it's funny because a lot of the other black students that I've talked to here complain about how, such, how much of a white institution Berkeley is, but genuinely, I feel like I have not seen more black people in my life other than when I'm back home in Mauritania. I just feel like because it is a bigger school than Santa Cruz, they, I just am seeing more black people. And I also feel like there are a lot more black orgs. Like I feel like there are a lot more, there's more of an active black culture here at Berkeley than at Santa Cruz. I think ratio wise, there are the same amount of black students or the same percentage of black students at Berkeley than at Santa Cruz. But I definitely feel more connected to the black community and black students at Berkeley than at Santa Cruz. At Santa Cruz, it was, a very white institution, very liberal and politically progressive, but a very white institution. Would you ever try Muslim dating apps like Minded and Salams? I feel like people either hate it or love it. There's no in between. I have never been on dating apps, period. And it's just because I'm not in a phase of my life where I'm like thinking about that. I'm still in school and I still want to finish school before I think about that phase of my life. My friend Tahira, she has a YouTube channel called Sincerely Tahira. I'll link it in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. I actually had her on the podcast. She was my, one of my first guests. She did a live stream. She does her like Sincerely Sunday live streams. And she did a live stream one time talking about her experience on different um, dating apps as a Muslim, um, including Salams was one of them. I don't know if that live stream is still up just because I know sometimes she takes down her live streams afterwards. But if it is, you guys should definitely check it out and kind of hear about her experience. I just genuinely have no experience in this and um, don't really have much to say. But I feel like I'm the type of person where I would just rather meet people organically and in person than on like a, a dating app or a social media app. It's interesting though, because I feel like that is very contrary to like where society is heading with that type of stuff. Someone else asked, how to stop feeling guilty as the oldest daughter in a West African home when we want to break free. I love this so much. Oh my gosh. Being the oldest daughter in a West African household is like being the third parent. I was literally, I sent a meme about this to my sisters and they were so ungrateful. Being the oldest sibling, period, you're carrying the world on your shoulders, genuinely. And then especially that added layer of being first gen, you have to make all of the mistakes for your siblings to learn and be better at things. I feel like speaking to like the guilt of like leaving home, it can be really hard and I'm sure a lot of people can kind of relate to this aspect of like when you come to college just leaving your family and going far away and building this whole new life. It can be really hard, but a lot of our parents, you know, immigrated here, sacrificed so much for us to be able to go to really good schools and to have a better life than they had at home so they understand that that entails going far away and leaving your household home sometimes however you may be in a case where you're unlucky and your parents don't understand or, and aren't supportive 
But I think at a certain age, right, once you become an adult, you have to start making decisions for yourself and for your own well-being. And hopefully your family will come around and be supportive. But I think if you understand and know your intentions are good, that you want to move out to, you know, build your own life, to grow in that way and in a way that you might not be able to grow if you stayed close to home, then you have to just trust in your ability to make good decisions for yourself and hopefully your family will come around or be supportive at a certain point. UC to UC transfer tips, please. I feel like I get so many comments on this ever since transferring, which is why I made a whole entire video. It's up on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash I gave literally all of my advice and all of my tips in that video. I have genuinely no other tips like i gave it all to you guys in that video but if you guys have any specific questions you guys can dm me and i can answer like specific questions i did get questions um from like two people asking if i could give my stats and like my gpa i'm not really comfortable putting that on the internet i know i did that my senior year of high school when i talked about my college admissions process in high school but I just want to keep that private especially now that I'm older and I realize like the importance of privacy so that's something that I'm not really comfortable sharing but if you have any other related questions about UC to UC transfer please DM me I really want to help you guys out because I think that there's not enough information and not, a, not enough people know that this is possible. I'm a freshman at UCSC. Please give me the places, clubs, and your favorite study spots. By the way, I love your content. Keep it up, sis. Thank you so much. I, oh my god, okay. I made an entire guide that's up on my personal Instagram, I said at Amadou, that has all of my favorite coffee shops, like, culminated together with the location on it. So you can check out that. I think also in my Goodbye Santa Cruz podcast episode, I also kind of gave some of my favorite places to study. The thing about Santa Cruz as a campus, it's really small, but you can find some of the like exclusive study spots. That was the thing that I loved doing. Some of my favorite exclusive study spots included the Ethnic Resource Center that was always open. They have so many conference rooms that are like usually not booked, so you can just pop in and study in there. And you can go to the ERC and actually get snacks. They have like a food pantry for free. I really loved studying at the Women's Center. I believe this year they're going to be more open and have more hours where you can just come in and study. It's a little bit further from main campus, but it was a nice place to study. Stevenson Library was like a library that for me was very hidden as someone who lived in College 10. So when I discovered Stevenson Library was a thing, I was there all the time, especially winter and spring quarter because spring quarter, like all of my classes were in Cowell and Stevenson. Namaste Lounge, if you're in College 10, that place is open until like two or three in the morning sometimes they don't even lock it that's the thing about the santa cruz libraries is they're really not open that late coffee shops i'm gonna run through these really quickly and if you want to hear more about them or read more about them check out my guide that i have on instagram so these are six coffee shops verve coffee roasters 11th hour coffee shrine coffee santa cruz coffee roasting Stevenson Coffee House that's on campus and Flower Bar were my favorite like coffee shops off campus and slash in the Santa Cruz area. Hope that helps. And good luck with your new school year at Santa Cruz. Someone else asked how to stay on Dean in university. This is so hard you guys. It's actually really hard keeping up with religion in college because you're not with your parents anymore. A lot of the times you're surrounded with a lot of non-Muslims 
And so you don't have your parents or your family constantly reminding you to keep up with prayers or to pray on time or to I think the most important thing the thing that I'm struggling with recently is like practicing Islam in the optional way of like reading Quran and like watching Islamic lectures reading books on spirituality that's the part that I feel like is the hardest for me when I'm in college because you know my brain is thinking about all of the other million things that I have to do and it's hard but I think what's really nice, at least about my campus, and I feel like most campuses will should hopefully have something like this, is like they have a few prayer spaces, like they have like a prayer space on campus that you can use to pray at if you want to pray in between classes or while you're on main campus. Other than that, I think surrounding yourself as much as you can with other Muslim people or with the Muslim presence is important because I think it reminds you of how important your deen is. Join MSA get involved with the muslim community as much as possible another thing is since the content you you consume has such a huge impact on you listening to and consuming content related to dean is very important for example the digital sisterhood is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to it's a group of young muslim women a bunch of hijabis that came together and created this beautiful podcast that has such rich spirituality embedded in it and that is something that reminds me a lot of the importance of Dean and like keeping up with Dean. So I've been listening to that a lot recently and just, you know, Google Calendar is a powerful tool. So blocking off time in your calendar to actually dedicate towards it, especially on the weekends when you don't have classes is a great time to like get that spiritual time in. That's something that I want to do is like actually put time in my calendar because I think once I put that time in my calendar I'll actually commit to doing it slash I'll be reminded of it I always try and go to Friday prayer whenever I can um, I know it's hard because sometimes you can have classes on Friday but it actually does improve I feel like a lot going to Friday prayer versus not going to Friday prayer it's once a week you get to meet people in the Muslim community you get to pray in community and you get to hear sometimes what are some of the most powerful sermons that can impact and change your perspective on the world. Genuinely, sermons are probably my, one of my favorite aspects of, you know, faith and practicing faith because I learn so much from them. So that's why I always make going to Friday prayer a priority in my life and why I definitely think if you're struggling with that, you definitely should look into that. Last question is similar, how to integrate your religious practices, prayer, jama, while being in college. Again, it's hard it really really is hard but just putting it in your calendar as much as possible and treating it as if it is as important as your other responsibilities that you have while you're in university so those are all of the questions i hope that today's advice was helpful and definitely in some ways other than others I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast episode if you guys enjoyed i'd really appreciate if you guys took a minute to rate and review this podcast also make sure you're following disclaimers aside on instagram to be a part of the community it's always linked in the show notes for you guys to go check out make sure to check out all of the resources as well and see how you can help out with the what's going on in iran do your part speak out it's not too late and don't be afraid also i feel like of saying the wrong thing i feel like when people make excuses about how they don't want to speak out on things because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing you are taking a cause that is more important about you and making it about yourself so don't be that person anyways you guys enjoy your weekend i will see you guys in my next podcast episode my